We're going to take out our Bibles this morning and we will head to Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to be continuing this morning our new series that we've started in the last couple of weeks called the Distinct Markers series. And last time I preached, I brought a word about how we're called to be a people of his presence. That that is a distinct marker, that is something that is distinct about us as the people of God. And as a result, that impacts on our priorities because we're not just seeking after good or settling for good, but we're seeking after God. And it also has an impact upon our pursuit, not just his presence, his gifts, but his presence, seeking after the Lord himself and that our lives revolve around the person. And it's interesting how the Lord works because last week we welcomed our guest speaker, Dave Brooks from Tuggeranong Presbyterian Church, and he brought a great word on joy, just that reminder for us that we are called to be a people of joy. And I thought, isn't that interesting how the Lord works? His joy, I believe, is, is or should be a distinct marker as well of our lives as the people of God, that there's, uh, Christian joy is just different than happiness or based on circumstances. So this morning, I want to spend some time looking at our next distinct marker. To lead us there, I want to start with a story. And before we do that, I'm going to pray. So Lord, I want to thank you for all that you've been doing already this morning. And Lord, I want to thank you that we can now come to your word, open up your scriptures, Lord. And I just ask that by your spirit, you would speak to hearts and minds today, Lord God. That Lord, we would not just leave this place having heard a whole lot of information, but Lord, there would be something of your revelation that would come, be sparked in our hearts and in our lives today, I pray. Lord, uh, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and I pray that your word would cut through this morning. It would, it would cut through the, the noise and the lies and all the other things that can perhaps, perhaps be going on around us or distracting us, Lord. We want to know you more and encounter you in this place today. So we commit this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So the year was 1999, and I was 12 years old, and the school year was coming to an end. And one of my good friends and I, we made our way out to the Sydney Cricket Ground, with our parents' permission, of course. And we were there to watch the New South Wales cricket side play against the touring Indian test side that was there that particular summer. And we were there, of course, to watch some cricket and enjoy that. But we were there with another mission. And our aim and mission was to hunt down autographs and signatures from the star players of that era. And so, if, we're, if I'm really honest, there was one in particular that we were after. A person by the name of Sachin Tendulkar we were after. Now, if you're not familiar with the game that we'll be playing in heaven, <laughs> not sure why you're laughing there, we'll move on. Sachin Tendulkar is known as one of the uh, game's greatest batsmen. He's known as, one of his nicknames is the Little Master. And really, he is someone that um, is, is, is revered and, to be honest, worshipped uh, by millions and millions and millions of cricket fans the world over. So we were there. He was the one that we were, were after. And so we'd heard that he was out at, at the nets warming up. So me and my friend, 12 years old, we were out there um, just trying to get his autograph. But we saw firsthand how much people held this cricketer in reverence and awe. As the crowds, hundreds of people just gathered around and thronged around us, we were jostled and we were pushed out of the way 
you know, as the, the little master spoke, you know, the hush fell upon the crowd. And as people made their way through and got their autograph or got their moment with cricketing royalty, they were like joy-filled and excited and they were celebrating as they went away. And of course, we missed out. And it happened a few times throughout the day where like the crowd was just swarming around this guy and we'd just get jostled to the side because we were only boys. Well, late in the day, we thought we'd miss out, but we heard a rumor that he was down signing autographs behind the change room. So we raced down there with our little mini bats and we were there and again, the same thing would happen. Everyone wanted a piece of, a piece of him and the crowds were gathering, jostling us around, pushing us out of the way. And then there was one point where a particularly enthusiastic fan pushed right in front of us, pushed us right out of the way. And then the man, Tendulkar himself, he spoke. He said, no, stop. A hush descended on the crowd as they waited to hear what he was going to say. He said, these two young boys were here first. He grabbed our bats, he signed them for us, and we just felt like 10 feet tall. We walked away. The crowd parted, kind of like the Red Sea, as we walked away, having had our moment with cricket royalty. So we went away absolutely thrilled. And I look back on that, and that's a great memory. For my 12-year-old self, that was a very exciting moment. But what's the point of that story? Well, I tell it for this reason. I believe it touches on something in our world and in our culture, around what we value or what we worship what we place great importance on. We can be so irreverent or casual in areas of true importance, and we can be so reverent in areas that perhaps aren't that important. We can be so passionate about the footy or the state of origin. How do we come in our worship on a Sunday? In other words, we can treat holy that which is common, and we can treat common that which is holy. So as I look back on that story, as I look back on that encounter that I had with cricketing royalty, if that is how fans were treating this cricket player with such reverence and adoration and adulation and honour, he's just a person. How much more should we have that sense of honour and reverence and awe, that hush-when-he-speaks kind of response? to the Lord when he is in our midst how much more should we be so eager to encounter him and get to him how much more so we're spending some time looking at some distinct markers of our lives as the people of God and you may remember that when I brought a definition of this word distinct it means recognizably different in nature from something else of a similar type. It's easily identifiable or set apart from others. So I want to put to you this morning that a distinct marker for us as God's people is or should be or must be living our lives with a sense of reverence for the Lord, a sense of awe, a sense of holy fear. So the title of the message this morning, if you're taking notes, is Distinct Markers, a People of Reverence. And I want to just spend a few moments looking at its importance in our lives, how we treasure it, how we grow in it. Now, we can hear words like reverence and awe and holy fear, and it can be easy to kind of think, oh, 
It's kind of a bit more Old Testament. That's a little bit more kind of, yeah, just Old Covenant. But I would put to you this morning humbly and sincerely that it's not just an Old Testament concept. It's not just pre-Jesus, but that actually it is a vital and essential part of the outworking of our lives and of our faith today. One of the markers of the early church in Acts, post the cross, under the new covenant, one of the markers, as we read through it, is this very characteristic. And there are several examples that we could look at. For example, Acts chapter 2, verse 43. It says that awe, this word awe means reverent fear, awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the hands of the apostles. Now, it's a little aside there. I believe there is a link between reverence and awe and God's presence and power being at work in our lives and in our midst as a church. Or Acts chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, right after Ananias and Sapphira, remember the story, Bit of an interesting account, bit of a full-on, intense thing that happened. But it says, great fear, and this word for fear, again, means reverence and awe and wonder, if you like. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, something like that happens in your midst. You certainly wouldn't come before the Lord with any sense of irreverence or just a casual attitude, I don't think. Or in Acts 9.31, we read that walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. It was a, a key characteristic or distinct marker of the early church, the early believers. Jesus himself, in instructing his disciples how to pray, he says, Our Father in heaven, and, and that is important that we grab hold of that, that he is our Father in heaven, he's good and gracious and merciful. But then he says, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This word for hallowed, and this, this perspective is actually important for us to grasp. This word means set apart, be kept and treated as holy. It means to be revered. And it's interesting that Jesus himself teaches that that is the starting point as we approach God in prayer. That he would be hallowed. That he would be honored and revered and treasured and be kept and treated as holy in our lives. Living our lives with a sense of reverence, or to use the, the biblical but perhaps culturally less acceptable term, the fear of the Lord, has a profound impact upon our lives in pretty much every area and every way. It's more than just a nice principle or a good idea, but it actually outworks and impacts and overflows in our day-to-day -day lives, which we'll get to, hopefully, as we go on this morning. Now, before we get too much further, I just want to make note of this and just make clear that when I'm talking about reverence, when I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, that what I want to make a distinction between is healthy fear and unhealthy fear, okay? So one of the most common commands in Scripture is fear not. Now, that's talking, of course, about a different kind of fear, a fear that is unhealthy, a fear that cripples, a fear that torments, that constricts, that makes us want to run, right? Whereas there is actually a healthy fear, that, and there's many, many references in Scripture as well to the fear of the Lord, talking about reverence and awe and respect and treating His name as holy. There's a healthy fear, okay? It means not wanting to do anything that would in fact separate us or bring division between us and the Lord. 
It's like I have a healthy fear of horses, for example. I love horses, beautiful creatures, but I'm like, I'm like 70-odd kilos and, you know, just under six foot, and you are like several hundred kilos and full of muscle and power. If I make a wrong move here, I could have some ribs broken or a lot worse. I have a healthy fear, right? It doesn't mean that I run every time I see a horse, but it's just that I have the respect of the power and what they're able to do. Or like the ocean. I love the ocean. I love going to the beach, but I have a healthy fear and respect of the ocean because it's powerful, because, you know, the waves are big and can crash around us. So there's a, there's a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. And I want to suggest this morning that when I'm talking about the, the fear of the Lord, that is a, a healthy fear. It's talking about our reverence and our honor and awe of him. Okay, I just want to make that really clear. So what is this reverence? What is this fear of the Lord? It's obviously a big theme all throughout Scripture. It's hard to kind of really distill it into a nice, palatable, simple definition. But the Fire Study Bible Commentary puts it this way, that fearing the Lord means to be in awe of His holiness, to give Him complete reverence, and to honor Him as the great God of glory, majesty, purity, and power. If we look at Scripture, at both the Old Testament words and New Testament words that you know, translated in English as fear or awe or things like that, there is this sense of it meaning reverence, awe, profound, adoring, awed respect. There you go. That's pretty full on. Or author and teacher, John Bevere, for whom this is kind of a bit of a life message, this whole area of the awe of God or the fear of the Lord. He says that to fear God is multifaceted. It means to reverence and be in complete awe of Him. It means to hallow Him to respect and honor him greatly. It means to esteem, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. And when we fear God, we take on his heart, we love what he loves, and we hate what he hates. So with that in mind this morning, I would put to you that reverence for the Lord or the fear of the Lord operating in our lives, it's our starting point for all of life. It's our foundational kind of place. It's the point we begin and it's from which all else flows. In Proverbs 1.7 we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowledge. If we want to live well and live with wisdom, then right here is a place, a good place to start. But it's also our reference point through all of life. That we must keep coming back to, that we must... Ensure is something that marks us or that is distinct in our lives, particularly as we live in such an irreverent culture. In Psalm 25, verse 12 to 14, it said, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. If we desire to know his instruction, his leading, his ways, our soul abiding in well-being, the friendship of the Lord, and living our lives in reverence and treasuring the fear of the Lord is how we do that as a continual and ongoing thing in our lives. So we can look at Scripture after Scripture, highlighting its importance and its priority in our lives. But I want to look at this passage in Isaiah 6. We've arrived, sorry, you've been there for a little while. And I want to bring a few things out this morning that will hopefully be helpful in us growing in the fear of the Lord and in this reverence and awe of Him so that it would indeed be or continue to be 
a distinct marker in our lives of faith. So let's read from verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. There are a few things that strike me about this passage, this encounter that Isaiah had with the Lord. And if reverence and distinct, sorry, if reverence and fear of the Lord are distinct to be distinct markers in our lives, I believe there must be, first of all, a recognition and realization of who the Lord is. In verse 1, we read that he says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Now, A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I want to put to you this morning that we need to see clearly who the Lord is and we need to think rightly about who He is. There's a saying, and I've heard heard in a few places, I've heard Matt Redman, the worship leader and songwriter, use it, that to let the throne set the tone. To let the throne set the tone. You know, as we read in Revelation, we get a glimpse of what's happening around the throne. Here in this passage today, we get a bit of a glimpse of what's happening at the throne. What that means is let what is happening there set the tone, set our standard for our worship and our lives here. Let the truth and the reality of who God is set the tone for our response and the outworking of our faith. Isaiah, in this encounter he had with the Lord, he didn't just kind of see the Lord with a casual glance, like, oh, that's nice, what a nice experience, what a nice moment, felt some warm fuzzies there. No, he saw him seated on the throne, high and lifted up. He saw the train of his robe filled the temple. He saw these seraphim, the word for seraphim means burning ones, a sense of purity, all around the Lord, crying out to one another, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When the outlook around us might appear bleak, we should try the uplook. Looking up to see the Lord. To see Him as the one who is still seated on the throne. To see Him as the one who is high and lifted up. To see Him as the one who is holy, holy, holy. 
And I kind of think I read this and, you know, when there's emphasis or repetition in Scripture, we should take note of that. And I don't think the seraphim were there singing holy, holy, holy as a, as a forerunner to the modern worship songs with lots of repetition or anything like that. It wasn't just because they couldn't think of anything else to sing. I believe it was literally the continual ongoing revelation of this God who is holy, holy, holy. This God who is other. This God who is high above, high and lifted up, set apart, majestic, pure. And with every cry of holy, it was like they were recognizing and realizing a greater depth to his holiness. To be a people of reverence, there is a call for us to see and to recognize who our God is. To see him high and lifted up. Because at times, if you're like me, it can be easy to try and either inadvertently or just because of life or whatever, to try and reduce the size and greatness of our God to our measure of understanding. You know, Isaiah, a little bit later in Isaiah 55, he writes that, that his ways are far above our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But sometimes it can be so easy to just kind of try and reduce or shrink down God to our level. You know, reduce him to a nice little God that we carry around with us in our pocket. Yet this is a call back, this encounter that Isaiah had with the Lord. It's a call back to seeing him as the one who is high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy. If we are to live as people of reverence, that is to be a distinct marker. We must come to a place continually even in our lives of the recognition and the realization of who our God is. A recognition and realization that he is indeed loving and merciful and forgiving more than we can imagine. Praise God for that. But also a recognition and realization that he is also holy and just and righteous. He's the king above all kings, as we've sung this morning. He's not just our, our butler or our boyfriend or our buddy or anything like that. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, not just a nice kitty cat that kind of sits on our lap and makes us feel good about ourselves. He is the Lord of all. When we're in that place, when that is our recognition and realization, there's no way that we can think about coming before him with irreverence. We're living our lives in a way that's kind of casual or a bit indifferent to who he is. So let me put this to us this morning. When was the last time that you stopped, that you turned your gaze towards him and simply were in awe of the Lord? When was the last time that as, we, as you sing songs proclaiming the truth of who our God is, and all that he's done, that you were overcome with wonder and reverence? When was the last time that as you opened up his word, that your heart leapt within you as you fed your soul on the wonder and the majesty and the greatness of our God revealed through the scriptures? As we consider this encounter that Isaiah had, I dare say that it shaped him for the rest of his life and ministry. For delivering the hard words that the Lord commanded him to give to the, God's people. If you read through the book of Isaiah, there was some pretty heavy stuff, some pretty uncomfortable things that he was asked to do. 
but the recognition and the realization of the king, of the Lord of hosts, would have meant that it was the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man that was operating in his life. Our perspective is so important, and our view and our perspective of the Lord will enable us to live our lives in reverence before him. So if we're to live our lives with reverence and fear of the Lord as a distinct marker, there is a recognition and a realization of who God is. Secondly, this morning, if reverence and the fear of the Lord is to be a distinct marker in our lives, there must be remembrance and right perspective of who we are. As he has this encounter with the Lord in verse 5, his response is, woe is me, I am undone. And I believe there is a call for us to remember who we are in light of who he is. A call to remember that actually the world doesn't revolve around us. I'm not talking here about despising ourselves or just being down on it, you know, talking negatively about ourselves or anything like that. But as we look at Isaiah's response, it gives us some clues. And what's interesting to me is that he is a prophet. He's already following the Lord. He's probably hanging around the temple a whole lot. He's there in and around God's house. He's probably measuring up pretty well. He's probably, you know, ticking some right boxes. He's called of God. But his response to all that, when he's faced up with the the recognition and realization of who God is, his response is, woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. In the presence of the almighty God, he is undone. In realizing who he is, he realizes who he is. And his response is one of humility and awe. You see, with the recognition and realization of who God is, it brings the remembrance and right perspective of who we are. For the more clearly that Isaiah saw God and his greatness, the more aware he became of his inadequacy and his need of him. So it is for us, the more clearly we see the Lord and his greatness, perhaps the more we make room for that to happen in our lives, the more that we become aware of our need of him. In a similar vein, I love what King David writes in Psalm chapter 8. It's this kind of place he finds himself in. Where he starts off Psalm 8 by saying, O Lord, my God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then he gets to this point, it's like, when I consider who you are, the works of your hands... He comes to this place of saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I that you are mindful of me? And Isaiah is in that kind of place, I believe. He's there, I'm undone. The presence of the almighty God. Yet I love this. We see this burning coal that comes from the altar and touches him. And he's informed that his guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. I love this because there's something prophetic about this. There's something that this points us towards, I believe. Something of the mercy of God in this picture, that just as Isaiah needed to be cleansed, we too need to be cleansed of our guilt and our sin and our unrighteousness. For we too are undone. 
and unclean and unworthy. But through Jesus, through the finished work of the cross, our guilt has been taken away. Our sin has been atoned for. We remember in the presence of the Almighty God that it's by His grace, it's this gift that we can come. It's not by something that we earn or deserve through our own greatness or through our own merit or anything like that. And as we ponder that, as we try and grasp that in our lives, what makes it even more amazing is that there's absolutely no way that we deserve a place at the table, a place at His table. We're undone, we're unclean, we're unworthy, but... He has made a way for us to be welcomed there. And do you know what? As we think about that, I believe that that should actually lead us to a place of awe and wonder. It's like this cycle that happens as we recognize and realize who our God is, His holiness, His his greatness, His majesty, His purity, all these things. You know, His eyes are too pure to look on sin. And yet, and yet, He has made a way and has welcomed us to come in, to partake of His goodness, to know Him, to have our sin atoned for and our guilt taken away. It's like this cycle of, Lord, You're amazing. And so we begin and so we go again. It was interesting, we started our time of prayer out in the back there this morning with Psalm 130. And it says, If you kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Yet... With you is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Therefore you are feared. Again, this word, reverence and awe. It's like, as we think about, you know, if God kept a record of sins, if he was there marking us off, who could stand? We'd all be in a lot of trouble, let's be honest. But with him, there is forgiveness. Therefore, therefore, the only right response really for us is to fear him, is to be in awe and reverence. Of him. If reverence, the fear of the Lord, to be distinct markers, there must be this remembrance and right perspective of who we are, a realization and recognition of who he is. Finally, this morning, that there must be a response. There must be a response. And in the passage, we read that through the right perspective, Isaiah came to of his need of the Lord. Through his cleansing that he received, there is a response, an invitation. Who will go? And he says, here I am, send me. Because we have been cleansed, because we've been made righteous through Jesus, we too are called to live in response to such mercy. To say, here I am, Lord. Maybe I could invite the worship team to come up, if that's okay. It's an invitation for it to be a distinct marker in our lives. You know, Philippians 2 talks about working out, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and reverence. It's not just sit back and see what happens. It's not just, you know, oh, well... What will be is what will be. No, there is an element, a response to, to go, Lord, in light of who you are, in light of all that you have done, Lord, I, I want to work out and walk out my salvation, Lord, in fear, in reverence, in awe of you. Will we do that? Will we live our lives with a great awareness 
of the greatness and the holiness and the majesty of God. And in humility, realize our great need of Him so that there is a difference in how we live our lives. Because reverence for the Lord, living our lives with that as a distinct marker, it encapsulates everything, our pursuit of God, how we pursue holiness, our mission and our call, it's all undergirded by this reverence and fear for the Lord. You know, living our lives in this place of reverence and awe of Him, it's a response that affects the big things, yes, but also the little things, the day-to-day things about our everyday lives. Living in that place of reverence for the Lord and the fear of the Lord, it impacts upon how we work. Living our lives with reverence for the Lord and the fear of Him, it impacts how we treat our families, how we respond to those around us. Living our lives with a sense of reverence and awe and the fear of Him actually has an impact upon who we are and what we get up to in the secret place when no one else is around, when no one else is looking. I really believe that this is a season of awakening, a season of reverence and the fear of the Lord being restored in our hearts and in our lives as His people. I believe it's a time where the Lord is wanting to stir that afresh in us so that it would indeed be a distinct marker. There's one more scripture from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. You don't need to turn there if you don't want. Verse 14 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, in all you do. Since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. There's that word again, reverent awe. Throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There's this exhortation here to not be conformed, to not just go along with the crowd, the culture, anything goes. We're called to be distinct as God's people. He says, but as he who called you is holy, So be holy in all you do. It's because of who He is, we're called to respond in such a way that means our pursuit is to be like Him. He says, conduct yourselves with fear. This word, reverent awe. That sense of awe and wonder and reverence for Him. Honor for Him. Why? Here it is. Because you have been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. He paid much too high a price for us to live in reverent, indifferent, to be casual about our walk with Him. So this morning, what about you? Where are you at in this particular area? Where are you at with your reverence for the Lord? Is it operating in your life as it should be? 
Our lives are lived before the Lord. He's the one to whom we will give account. He's the one to whom we belong. Our lives are lived before Him. More than a great cricketer, more than a celebrity that so often we elevate to the position of being high and lifted up. Our lives are lived before Him. May what we value, may what we treasure, may what we place great importance on, may, may this distinct marker be evident in our lives. Reverence for Him, the fear of the Lord at work, that He would be honored, for He is the one who is truly worthy. Would you stand this morning? We're going to just finish with a song, an opportunity to respond. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never really heard about the reverence or the fear of the Lord. I encourage you to come and, and respond to Him. Cry out to God that He would stir that in your heart perhaps you've been sitting there and you've realized yeah you know I've really been perhaps letting some things slide or that hasn't been as evident as it needs to be let me encourage you this morning to come and do business with God maybe it's those areas of just hidden sin and guilt and shame Maybe you've lost sight a little bit of that reverence for the Lord or of Him. Let me say this morning, maybe what you need is, is not another self-help book or a podcast or a TED Talk or anything like that. Maybe what you need most, what we need most, I dare say, is an encounter with the Lord, the one who is seated on the throne, who is high and lifted up, who is holy, holy, So, this is what we're going to do. As the worship team just lead us in a song or a chorus or something just to finish, just the altar here at the front is opened up for any who just want to come and do business with the Lord, particularly regarding this area of reverence for Him and the fear of the Lord, that awe and honor and respect and profound adoration of Him, where you just feel like, oh, that needs to be awakened afresh. Lord, I repent. If you're in that place today, I'd love to just invite you just to come and kneel if you're able to the altar. There's no pressure in any of that. And there's nothing, you know, it's just simply an outward response of the inward kind of uh, action of what God's doing. So that's, that's for while the song is on, just to come and do business with the Lord, to come and, and ask the Lord, cry out to Him that, that, that you would live your life, that we would live our lives with a sense of reverence and the fear of Him, that that would have its rightful place in us. And as the song comes to an end, I'd invite the prayer team to come up at that point uh, just to pray. You may like further prayer relating to, to what we've looked at in the sermon, but specifically, I feel this morning it's important to give that opportunity 
uh, flowing on from the word that, that Steph had earlier just after worship where there's brokenness and heartbreak and pain uh, that has been in your life and you're, you're seeking prayer uh, just for the Lord to really shine his light and bring his freedom and bring his breakthrough. I, I, I would just simply and humbly give you that invitation this morning. All right. Let me pray and uh, we'll finish with a time of worship. So Lord, I want to thank you for our time this morning. I want to thank you for your great goodness. Lord, I want to thank you that, God, you are the one who is high and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Lord God, we stand in awe of who you are. But Lord, we are so overwhelmed and amazed and incredibly grateful, Lord God, that You are the one who has made a way for us, Lord God. That our sin has been atoned for, our guilt has been taken away through the work of the cross. And we just rejoice in that this morning. We thank you for that this morning. And Lord, we want to respond to you, Lord, that our lives would indeed be marked with reverence for you, with the fear of you, Lord God. Not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that causes us to be in awe, that causes us to draw near that causes us, Lord God, to respond to you, Lord God. It has an impact and an effect on every area of our lives. So would you do whatever you need to do in us, Lord God, in our hearts, in our minds, to change us and transform us, Lord, and bring us to that place where, Lord, we also see you and recognize and realize that you are holy, holy, holy. And what else could we do? Respond in praise in devotion. I just bless each person here today as we go from here. With your love, Heavenly Father, with your grace, Lord Jesus, with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, let your blessing be upon your people, I pray. In Jesus' name.